0: Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. Scripture says the weapons of a warfare are not of this world, but they are what? Mighty through God for tearing down strongholds. And how many of you know that there are strongholds that are play and at work all around us that in your life and in my life that there are forces that are against our progress in Christ there are forces that are against your joy there are forces that are against your functional family there are forces that have caused your dysfunctional family and the problem is is that I don't know that we quite see where that battle is raging We imagine falsely that all of what we face in our world is connected to the natural. The arguments that we had even this morning on the way to church or the frustrations that we have with our children. But what we learn from scripture is that is in fact not true. That the source of all battles that we fight is in the spiritual place. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do things in the natural place. But that the battles that we fight are first and foremost spiritual. They are spiritual in nature. A few years ago, my brother in law was telling me that he'd been, been watching Battlestar Galactica episodes. And he and his wife, after watching these episodes for a while, decided that they'd had enough for the night and decided to go to sleep. They were really tired, but somewhere around 2 30 or 3 in the morning, the burglar alarm went off in the home. And my sister-in-law began to freak out, and she was wondering, "Is, is her family in jeopardy? And so she immediately tries to rouse her husband, who is dead asleep, and he can't be awakened from his sleep. He will not rouse. He will not awaken. And so she's screaming. She's smacking him in the face in nothing, And so she runs over to the door and she peeks out. She grabs a bat and she's going to go fight this attackman from the home. And my brother-in-law is just there asleep just snoozing while this intruder is threatening to invade their home. This is going on for a while. And so she's peeking about and she's trying to figure out what to do because her husband's asleep and she's looking to him for some sort of protection. Maybe he can handle it a bit better than she which he, they say this went on for about five minutes and she kept trying to awaken him. But it was no use. He was asleep. Finally though, maybe it was all of the alarm going off because the sirens blaring. Woo! and she's over there smacking him or whatever he decides that he's going to slowly start to rouse from his bed I don't know you decide. he just begins to rouse from his sleep and all of a sudden he notices what's going on and he screams in this shrill cry Aah! and then he yells babe what's happening to us Turns out it wasn't an attackman that had broken into their home, but the sensor on the door had fallen to the ground and it had triggered the alarm. He goes, "Yeah, not my most shining moment as a man." <laughs> and I go, "Y'all think <laughs> you think this is a you're not your shining moment?" But there's something about that that's true: is that there really is a battle that's raging and the sirens are going off. But we awaken. To a world every single day not knowing that the alarms are sounding and that the battle is, in fact, raging around us all of the time. Here, we've been in Ephesians now. This is our 10th edition of this. in The 11th, if you count, our Wednesday life group. We've got one more life group on this subject. Two more marriage life group in our series. But one more that we're engaging. And what the big idea in Ephesians is this, is that there is a battle that's going on. Battle for the supremacy of Christ in our own lives. Battle for our families with our children in our marriages. Battle going on in our church. There's a battle raging everywhere. And Paul is trying to draw all this to a head. He's been sort of pacing and what he's been saying sort of veiled throughout his letter is now being revealed in very plain language as we approach our final edition of this series. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to pick up our reading this morning. Paul starts it this way. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is a text that if you've been around church for more than a few years, you probably have heard at least once comes up in children's church you colored in the pieces of the different armor some of you in your prayer in the morning you go through a ritual where you symbolically place on the armor of God but I wonder if we're missing the big idea here and what this text is pointing to We know that there is a battle that's raging about us as I've already made plain that there is something going on in the spiritual at every battle that we face. In our offenses, in our uh, issues that we are facing with addiction, with our finances, with our health, our eating habits, that there's something spiritual that's connected to these two. The problem is though that we... In our world of scientific advancement, we've sort of come to the point where we have diminished the spiritual realm in favor of the natural realm. That all of the remedies are now psychoanalysis or some sort of visit to the doctor that tends to deal with our issues. With our offenses, we now go to therapists and nothing wrong with all of those things. But if we miss the root of where those battles are being fought, we can do all of those things and still miss how it is that we find our breakthrough. And symbolically putting on the armor of God, if that's your thing, is not going to stop the enemy from coming against you. Keep in mind that Paul is in prison. I said in a previous sermon that he's not a prisoner of Rome, though Rome is where he is captive. He's not a prisoner of the state He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He recognizes that Christ is the reason that he is there and in the place that he is. And he understands that God is trying to do something through this experience. He's not bemoaning the fact that he's in jail. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, you recognize that he knows that he's going to jail and he's actually good with it because he believes that the gospel would be advanced more because he's in prison. And those of us that have studied the scriptures know that most of his letters or much of his writing actually took place while he was in prison. He's been writing to this church in Ephesus, which he spent two years helping to plant. He believes in this community, but he wants them to know that the battles that they are fighting are not being fought well. The reason he's bringing up this text is because they have misplaced the battle the same as we all have. That our first gaze is not into the spiritual realm. But in the emotions and the feelings that we have. And we often do battle with people within our minds and our hearts. Paul says no. That the battle is spiritual. Now much of the imagery though, mind you, is going to come from this Roman warrior. Who is always in front of him because he's under guard. Day and night. Some scholars say that he's actually attacked. That they have a rotating guard. And he's basically bound to the Roman guard so as not to escape. But if the Roman guard who he is taking the imagery from of the armaments of the spiritual warrior is bound to him on one side. He recognizes that he is a prisoner of Christ and held on the other side by God himself that God is the one that is with him in this place. And so he is reminding the church of this truth. So when he gives us this picture of the battle and the armor, he has in front of him an image of what that might mean for us. Also, it's important to note that Rome, This godless nation was the most formidable force of an army that the world had ever seen to this point. Their conquering prowess was matchless in that particular world. And even in antiquity, even the warriors in previous generations had been subdued by this massive force. But Paul is declaring they have no real power. That their power is, is borrowed. That the true source of power comes from God who has subdued all of these powers in the person of Christ. And then he gives them this counsel. How it is that we win every battle. Wouldn't you love to win every battle? Like never lose. To always overcome. Well he's giving us the remedy of how it is that we are to do this. And the first thing he says is that we're to be strong in the Lord. If we want to win every battle, our strength does not come from ourselves. It doesn't come from how hard we can pray or it doesn't even come from how much we can read scripture. That's not where the power comes from because we can do all of that and still miss the bigger point that our strength comes from God. Not in my ability to do that. And I'm not saying that those are bad things. I think all of that is good. But the point of reading the point of praying is to fetch power against our adversary so that we are strong then in the Lord we are not strong in our own strength we're not strong in our own power so when we're going to interview for the job we're not going in our own capacity to interview for this position but our strength to do so comes from the Lord be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might God just asks us: how many times have you faced battles in your life in the power of your own might? You're facing those issues, those struggles, those addictions, and what it is that you can muster in your own flesh. But to do so misses the admonition that Paul is clearly offering to the church that our strength Actually comes not from our ability or how much I can go into the gym and how much I can bench press but in fact its strength comes from God himself. So Paul's there he's bound to this warrior and this warrior probably strong known for his his ability in battle, maybe himself has some battle scars, and he sees the epitome of a man's man, of a warrior, and he thinks to himself, that's not where it's actually found. But sometimes the reason why I think that we fail in our battles and the struggles in our homes and in our marriages and in our conversations with others is that we are trying to be strong in a strength that's not God's. And we've also failed to adapt to a military environment. Like my brother-in-law, many of us are asleep when the attackment is coming. And when we finally hear the alarm bells going off, we scream in horror what is happening to us. As if this battle hasn't been raging all along anyway. It has been moving above us. Even now, as I'm preaching this message, there are forces in the heavenly places trying to prevent your hearing of it. Trying to get your focus on whatever else is more important than this message at this moment. But I would propose to you, nothing is more important than this right now. Because God is wanting you to win the battles that you fight. Our inability to adapt to a military environment means that we miss, that there's a war that's going on all along. I'll never forget when I was in boot camp, there was a fella that was being uh, brought in just like the rest of us. And the first thing you get is this culture shock. They're screaming at you. They're telling you how sorry you are. They're making fun of how pudgy you look. And they're just trying to break you down to then build you back up into the soldier that they want you to be. Well, one of these cats, when we were getting there, he's sitting there and the drill sergeant's in his face and he just has a breakdown. He says, That's it. I'm done. Send me home. And the drill sergeant says, No, don't you see that in you is a mighty warrior and I'm going to make you into a wrecking machine and I'll make you so strong that all the ladies will look at you and go, Ooh. He says, Man, don't you understand? I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. And they sent him home, discharged, dishonorably with this on the bottom, failure to adapt to a military environment. We miss this all the time, that there are battles raging in the spiritual place. And we've even heard this before. But we don't recognize the second truth that Paul is trying to communicate, and that is that every battle is spiritual. There is not one that you are facing right now. There's not one that you have faced at any point in your life that is not spiritual. It is spiritual in nature. Everything that you're dealing with. What does he say? Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not with flesh and blood. You think it is. You think that your battle's with The one that you argued on the way with to church. You think your battle is with your kids doing what it is that you say. But that's not where the battle is won. Your battle isn't with flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and rulers in high places. Which should change or reframe the way in which we engage battle for or on behalf of those that we love and also for our world. We are trying to legislate morality when the battle for our morality in our nation is decidedly spiritual. And Paul is wanting to communicate that. He says, we're missing the point, y'all. That it's not the flesh and blood that you're battling. And imagine he's there bound to a soldier saying this. This isn't who I'm in war with. But I'm in war with the principalities and powers, so he could be in prison and recognize that as he's writing these letters that he's doing real war. and as he's praying for the churches, he's doing real war. and he, they, even though his location, seemingly from an outward place, is more bound, but in this space, in fact, he's more free to write than he had ever been, because he's not distracted by all the other stuff. Could it be that God has you in the location that he does? As frustrating as it is, so that you can do your best warfare. We have these manifestations that happen in our lives, and they often manifest in the flesh flesh. But Paul's saying, "Please, don't misunderstand the source of where that offense is coming from. Please don't misunderstand the way in which you're responding to the doctor's report that you've just been given. If you do war on the wrong place, you may be able to solve a problem like curing a headache with beheading yourself. It will solve the problem, but probably not in the most productive way. There's Advil for that. And yet that's often the way that we do it. We'll cut people out of our lives. We'll diminish where the battles are are happening around us, trying to insulate our world, not recognizing that all along this battle has been spiritual. And because we've not fought the correct way, we have found ourselves struggling and beaten down, not standing into the, the grace that God has. Now, As a young person, I I started to get this. I I really dove all into this battle being spiritual. And when I was a new Christian, I knew that God had my back. I remember being in in class and one of the star uh, football players that was on our team was being belittled and ridiculed by one of the defensive linemen. He was an offensive player and this defensive lineman's ridiculing this offensive guy, which also happened to be a good friend of mine. I felt a little bad. I mean, people always razz each other in football. It's not a big deal. But what was a big deal is my bud had just lost a very close friend. And he was crying in class. And this other guy goes, man, why are you crying, you sissy? And starts making fun of him. So I said, yo, Howard, man, give the guy a break. I said, he's going through a lot right now. You need to lay off of him. And he's like, man, shut up. And he starts going deeper into this person's harassment. And I was like, man, you've got to stop that. That's, that's too much. He just lost someone. He, can't you just have a little bit of compassion? And he's like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. He kept going in. I said, look, bro, if you don't stop harassing my friend right now, I'm going to pray to God that he breaks both your legs and you're not going to be able to walk on that football field he shut up. It ended the conversation right there. Now that's probably not a very Christian prayer to pray, but I believed that the battle was spiritual. I understood that. That there was something that was coming for his heart. And my stand against that was decisively in the place of prayer. Later on he said "Man, man, I'm glad you didn't pray because I know God hears you when you pray. And I didn't want to have broken legs, man. So man, thanks for not praying that prayer. But I wonder if that's how we attacked our problems when somebody was hurting us says, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God changes that hard heart of yours. I'm going to pray that God changes that belittling spirit that you have. That contrast cherry way that you're always an oppositional defiance that you've got. I'm going to pray that out of you. My mom taught me how to do that because that's what she did for me. Because there was a time I didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. And my mom says, oh, I got you. Forget all that extra stuff. We're just going to pray that out of you. And I tell you, even at night, those prayers, that would torment me and draw me to my place where I myself had chosen faith for myself. But prayer is the source of where we find victory. The third thing that we have, notice we haven't even talked about the armor of God is that we need to stand in three consecutive places, Paul says. When you've all done all you can do to stand, stand. Stand firm then, wearing. And so you get three times that Paul is saying stand. Why? Because the emphasis is on the stand that we're making. Not just stand up. But stand, why specifically? So that we can oppose the day of evil that's coming. What is this scripture saying? That the enemy will bring the day of evil in your life and in my life. Putting it more plain. It's going to hit the fan at some point. Things are going to get really terrible at some point. And it's in those times that when the enemy is coming in, that we don't try to just run away from the battle, but we make our stand and we say, you're not having my children. You're not going to have my marriage. You can't touch my finances. You can't overthrow my character. You can't belittle what God has said that I am. I am taking my stand here thus far and no more. You're not coming through me. You're not going to get my children because you're going to have to come through me. You're not going to have my sanity because you're going to have to come through me. This is the idea that's Here at play. When you've done all that you can do to stand, we stand then. This is how then we stand. Dressed in the armor. Whose armor is it? Is it your armor? No. Put on the full armor of God. Remember when Saul was with David, and Saul tries to offer David his armor, Saul's armor, and David tries to put it on, it's too heavy. He instead does something else, and he puts on the armor of God, which from an outward perspective leaves him quite exposed. It's not... Saul's armor that we need to put on, but the armor that God Himself wears and offers to us, He gives it to us. Yes, to fight, not just as individuals, by the way, because his letters addressed to the church. It's always about the church being this stand together and fighting the onslaughts of evil in this age. And every generation has to make their stand, and it's time for our generation to make ours to stand against the tide of evil that's coming the crazy things that we face are evidence of a real and true adversary have you ever noticed that it's not ever that you're battling one thing but when the battle really strikes it's like six things If there's never been any evidence of a real adversary in your life, just paying attention to that will convince you that there is an adversary, Satan, that is out to destroy you. And here is how God says we make our stand. This is how we hold our ground. This is how we take back our possession from the enemy. First, we put on the belt of truth. You start with the belt and now he's probably watched the Roman soldiers put on their armor in front of them as they change and the garrison switches over and there's new people coming in. He sees them but it was also the base level that if you start trying to operate in falsehood you will immediately be overcome because your belt is not intact. You've got to be strengthened in truth. And what does John fourteen six tell us about truth? Christ being quoted here says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not just information. It's revelation that truth is the person of Jesus. That Christ being the truth is what we gird ourselves around. And in that truth, God gives us the information of what is true about us. That even when... Our outward perspective is being muddied by the experiences and by the torment that we are under. We recognize that we are girt about with truth that's holding everything together. It holds our pants up, but it also holds our life up. It holds everything about us intact, but here's where the enemy loves to do his best work. is through falsehood. And by manipulating truth. You know what it takes for every lie to actually take hold into our lives? You know what it it must have? It must have an element of truth to it. So what I'm saying to you is even though the devil is the father of lies, he veils his lies in truth. He did the same thing to Jesus. How was Jesus tempted? With the truth. He comes at Jesus with what? Scripture of all things. But the one that breathed it all together knew where the enemy was manipulating truth to serve his own purposes and to expose those things in such a way by bringing the whole truth to the battle. Here it's important because if we believe the wrong things about us that God doesn't love me and that's why I'm going through this attack. I'm suffering this way because God is judging me and everybody else and it's just what I have to endure. The cross is evident that judgment has already been served on the powers of the forces of sin and death and that all I need to do is lean into the truth of who God says that I am that in him I am forgiven. In him I have new life. In him I am victorious. In him I've already overcome in him I have power over the adversary and I know that as I walk in that truth it reframes the way I face every battle because I am grounded in his truth of what he says about me now this is real important because there was some years ago there was a believer that I knew and this woman was convinced of the truth that she knew, even though what she believed about what was true was absolutely a lie. She'd made up her mind about people, made up her mind about what people thought of her, made up her mind about others in the community of faith. And no matter how many times people could say, hey, I think you're off base here. I think you're missing the point. This person could not Steer herself away from the lie that she believed in her own heart. They say it's very difficult to change somebody's mind about what they have already determined to be true. And here's why we need to be tethered to the truth in Christ. It's because it exposes where the falsehood lies. And where it is that we are in error so that we can find what is actually true. This person ran everybody away from her life because she was convinced of a truth that was actually a lie. What lies have you believed and claimed to be true? What are those areas where the enemy has manipulated and used enough truth just to veil the lie so that you bought it It exposed you and began to destroy you? We need the truth. The truth, all of it. And here's something else about the truth. Truth doesn't set you free. That's not what scripture says. It says knowing the truth is what sets you free. That you will what? Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Meaning that God can say and declare that we are victorious. Like the emancipation proclamation that was sent out um, from Abraham Lincoln's desk, Declaring that no longer could slaves be held. It took months and months for that message to get to Texas. It was already true, but it wasn't until they knew the truth that they could lay claim to the emancipation. And that same is true for us, because some of you have been living by slaves, assuming that that's God's lot for your life. But no, the truth and the verdict has already been written that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The truth, beloved, is what we need, not just It being about, but knowing the truth, that's what sets us free. And then he tells us after this that we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You get echoes of this in Isaiah, who talks about the Lord is our righteousness. And this is important. And the reason why the belt comes first is because righteousness attaches to the truth. It lays claim to the truth and recognizes that the one that had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That righteousness is not properly something that belongs to me but is given to me by the one who himself is righteous. We are then putting on Christ the truth about our waste and also putting on Christ's righteousness as our own it isn't about my rightness or how good i can be or how well i can perform but as i put on christ i perform better i live more rightly and i can walk in new grace because god has given it to me i learned this lesson as a young person because when i came to christ i was a mess and man i remember one time i was getting ready to go to the pulpit. and i said god there are so many people that have been living for you more years than I have that have got more education than I have and I do not feel worthy to stand in this pulpit and proclaim the news to my peers and my friends because some of them probably know the word better than me and the Lord reminded me it's not you they've come to hear in me and it's not about how well or how long they've been a believer but more how much of me that you can let come through you Because it's my righteousness that holds it together. And righteousness guards what? Some of our most vital organs, our heart. When I know that I'm righteous because God is righteous. It guards my heart, it guards my lungs, the air that I breathe, the life that I exude. And so I stand when the enemy comes in with his accusation. Scripture calls him the accuser of the brethren. When he comes in, I know that I am right because God has made me right. Not based on my performance, but on his, on his truth and on his power. I've got to move. Each of these could bear their own week in a sermon and maybe at a different point we'll do that. But for the sake of time, we need to talk about the next piece of the armor, which is the shoes of the gospel that bring peace. Peace. Biblical peace. I want to say this is not the state that we show when everything is going good, because sure, we should be at peace then. But biblical peace is right here connected to the stand against the enemy. That when the enemy is bringing all hell against you, you're still at peace knowing that it's going to be okay. I remember some years back, I was on a boat, man, and this boat was not very big in the water that we had, but the, and it was waves were coming over and water was sloshing in the boat. But I looked over at the captain, the one that was manning this ship, and he wasn't concerned at all. And I thought, well, if he's not concerned, I probably shouldn't be either. That's what biblical peace is. It's knowing that God has it and that when the battle is raging most, that it's that biblical peace, knowing that the good news has reached us, and that God has it all under control, and that peace is what Christ brings to us. Peace I bring to you. I bring to you this peace. So here again, we have this image of Christ offering to us peace in every situation, knowing that it's all under control. But we're not very good at that, are we? When everything is raging about us, we're a lot like my brother-in-law. We scream and she screams and say, what's happening to us? But when we really are taking on the armor of God, we look at that stuff and go, that's all you got? Yeah. Really? You think you're gonna take me out with that? You think that that bad report from the doctor, you think that those bad situations that you've caused to stir up in my life and in the functional way that I'm existing, you think that that's going to take me out? Please. These waves can't take down this boat. I am clearly and safely in the hands of God. And no weapon you form against me can prosper. This is the idea of peace here, and this is how we take a stand. The next... He brings is the shield of faith. Our faith is foundational. And so if all the other types of armament that I've just spoken of are internal dispositions of the way that we carry ourselves, now we are carrying on sort of the external armament. Why do we need the shield of faith? To be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. Why not just darts? Because the enemy is not just trying to come to wound you. He's trying to burn down every loving thing he can in the process. But the shield of faith reminds us that what we hope for is more than just an aimless hope. As Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of the things that we hope for, but it's evidenced by the things that we do not see, that we already lay claim to that. That when the enemy is coming in, we like, Okay, you can bring all that against me if you want to, but I know that I am safe in Christ. I know that he's got it all under control. So I stand in my faith in the one that has already promised that he's going to see me through. And you know what happens when we wear the armor like this? The enemy moves on because he cannot disrupt what it is that God's doing. Our faith reaches beyond what it is that we see in the natural place and puts our eyes decisively on who God is in the supernatural, recognizing that in him we have all that we need. Faith to believe when it seems impossible. Some months back, I was in my car, and I was in a hurry coming to meet some of you. And I got into the car, and I began to turn the ignition, and I was... One of my kids, God bless them, had left the light on in my car and it drained the battery down of the car. And I did not have time for a jump, nor did I have anyone around that could give me a jump at this particular time. I needed something. And I said, Lord, I know that you hold the universe in your hands and that you can cause there to be just enough spark mind you I'd already been trying to start it and I drained the battery down for another two or three minutes to start this car in the name of Jesus I turned this key it fires up and I drove to church and I said thank you Jesus that's what faith is It's the evidence of things not seen that actually become reality. God, you're going to see me through it. God, you've already given me the power of an overcomer. Turn that ignition and it ignites and you're on your way. This is what it means to be a person of faith. But then he gives us the helmets of salvation. Who does salvation belong to but Christ? Christ. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons of a warfare are mighty through God for tearing down strongholds. And through these weapons, he goes on to say, we demolish strongholds in pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The reason we need a helmet of salvation is because we need to constantly rem- constant remember in our mind where the battles are often fought and won. The battle of our mind that is going on all the time must be protected with salvation to recognize that we are not the source of saving ourselves. It's not in our wisdom or our knowledge, but when we place on the helmet of salvation, it guards our mind against the enemy's attack that would try to rage between your ears to discourage you, to dissuade you from your purpose. The enemy can give you every excuse not to engage. The enemy can talk you out of every good plan that you have. And that's what the enemy's tactics often are. But when we put on the helmet of salvation, we recognize first where our salvation comes from. But secondly, that God has equipped us to bring his salvation into the world and gives us the wisdom on how to do it. Why? Because we are wearing salvation that cloaks our Brain, our mind, our hearts. And here, when the enemy tries and is coming to discourage us, we demolish those arguments. It's so true, though, that most of the time when those arguments are the most heated, it's us in our own mind that we most suffer from. The plague that we have within our mind that wants to torment us, keep us from. The truth that we know in God. But salvation holds it all together. And then he says, Take up the sword of the Spirit. How do we do this? Well, he gives us very plain language it's the word of God. I'm surprised at how little Christians use the word of God in their warring. I'm surprised. If it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, how it is that we overcome in situations and yet we don't have a church any longer that's biblically literate to even know where to look for the word to speak to the specific situation that we are dealing with. When we know the word of God and we have the word active in our life, the scripture says it in Hebrews 4 and 12, that it's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword in all of the world. It can pierce, it can divide, soul, spirit, joints, marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. What is the writer of Hebrews trying to communicate? That when we speak the word of God over a situation, we wound the power of every attack by making it come head on with what God has already said about that attack. And that attack can be everywhere and this is a lot of preaching that can happen here. But suffice it to say, for the matter of time that we have to be able to deal with it, that we need the word of God and when we pray, we need to pray the word of God over our situations because in doing so, we thwart every attack, dividing it up and bringing forth the truth of God in every situation. He equips us with this armament so that we, you, us can make our stand. And what I'm trying to encourage you this morning to do is to learn to take your stand with this armor gird about your life. God's armor, putting on Christ this way because in doing so, we find that we have victory over every situation. The power of the word enables us to combat all of the forces of darkness. All of them. Friend of mine was just sharing this story recently about this. He'd been given a very bad word. The doctor said the whole left side of your upper body is never going to function as it used to. That injury that you had is going to keep you out of any physical activity. It's going to basically debilitate you. You need to get comfortable with the fact that you will always have limitation on that side of your body. And you'll never be the same again. You will always be crippled. He said to me the other day as he was sharing this story, he says, you know, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe what he said. I knew that what he was saying was the best truth that he could muster at the time because he was looking at my MRIs, he was looking at at my medical records, and he was looking at where I was at that time, and he said, I've never seen anybody come. He goes, but I believe that there was a power yet still that could speak a different truth, the truth of God to my situation. And so I said, I don't believe that. I'm not going to lay claim to that. And the doctor just kind of shook his head and sent him off. He said, I went and I just began to just pursue the recovery process, engaging my spiritual life, my physical life. And he goes, within a year, I had run my first Ironman triathlon, not the short one, the big one. And then the next year, I ran another. And then I sent the doctor in a mail the picture of me holding the award of finishing the Ironman and said, just very simply, how you like me now? Because when we understand and lay claim to God's truth, we recognize that no power in hell, no voice that's even advised or, or, or has some measure of earthly wisdom can stand in combat to what God has said about us. It's true. I invite the worship team to come back up. This isn't where Paul ends, though, how it is that we make our stand. In the concluding three verses... He pulls this all together and he says, and this is how you do it. You, yes, you dressed, you've got this full armor of God. You have all of this stuff moving around you. You got it going for you. But in the final three verses, he uses the verb, or, or, or the word prayer. It is a verb. It's an action word. The verb prayer. Do this. Action. On five different occasions, pray in the spirit, pray for each other, pray for me, pray that we can get this truth, pray, 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 he says it, and the reason he says it like that is because he recognizes that this is where the battles are often going to be won and lost, and that's in the place of prayer. But this is where the enemy most often keeps us from, is the place of prayer. We all prayer every lunch hour, every Monday, for prayer. Why? Because we know that the beginning of every week needs to be wrapped and shrouded in that kind of warfare because there are real battles going on. The answer for our situations with violence in our country is prayer. It doesn't mean that there's not action to be done in the natural or with our feet, but it starts. In the place of the Spirit. And then our prayers take action. And they're still prayers as we move along with the Spirit. To face whatever it is that we're up against. It's prayer that demolishes strongholds. It's prayer that overcomes the adversary in your life. It's prayer that turned the tide in my life. And it's prayer that will do the same in yours. When we are strong in the Lord. It brings us again to this humble place of where we pray where we put on the full armor of God. I fear, though, that much of our problem in this age, as we're wrapping up this series on Ephesians, is that we're trying to put on earthly armor. We're trying to fortify ourselves with more padding in our bank accounts, a safer zip code, safer automobiles. Nothing wrong with that stuff but that's not the source of our security. Those of us that walked through the financial crisis of the late 2000s saw that all the equity you had in your home could be gone like this. All of your stocks and bonds could equally be gone as fast as this. That a storm can come and rip open your home like is happening right now in the Bahamas and all of it's gone. Your muscle needs to be found in something else. This is really what David knew. As he was trying to put on all of the earthly trappings of what strength looked like, he realized that it was too cumbersome. And that what he really needed was to put on the armor of God. I've recited this before in your hearing, but it's worth repeating now. When Goliath is coming in his mass and form over nine feet tall a mighty warrior no one could defeat. In fact, he defied the forces of Israel, left a whole entire army shaking. You'd think that at least four of us could take down one of him, but they were afraid because the battle wasn't in the natural. It was spiritual. But I love what David says. He says, you come out of E with shield and spear and sword, but I come at you In the name of the Lord. This is how we fight our battles. My wife and I, just this past week, we felt something really strong going on in the spirit. And that the tide needed to be turned in some specific situations. We turned the parking lot of the gas station into a place of spiritual warfare. And we saw the visible effects of that warfare. That moment. When the enemy comes at you with all of his infernal forces, we don't come with earthly intellect or power. No, we come in the name of the Lord. We look at that giant and we say, you're coming down. You have no power or authority over me. It may look like right now I'm bound up, but I've never been more free to write and to encourage. And I want to tell you about something. This church in Ephesus, the small little budding church that Paul's writing a letter to, becomes the largest church known in antiquity. They say by some scholars' estimates over 10,000 why? it's not because they had prob- didn't have problems, they did but they started putting on the full armor of God, they started walking in the revelation of what Paul had taught and what Paul was saying in this letter and something transformed that community and culture and the same is true of us, when we live into this kind of virtue and we start seeing the miracles and the ways that God wants us to see it'll be a small thing that in one service two people get uh, transformed and healed in the power of God It'll be a small thing to see 150 people in the altar coming to know Christ is Lord. It'll be a small thing to see pancreatic cancer healed. It'll be a small thing to see brain tumors shrivel up. It'll be a small thing. Why? Because we're walking in the anointing of God. Church, that's the way that God wants us to live. And we've been seeing glimpses. But I think now he's calling us to a whole other level of this. And it's time that we make our stand because the enemy has been coming against you, coming against your mind, coming against your families and mine, and coming against our city and coming against our nation and world. And it's time now for us to take our stand. We are wearing not our armor, but the armor of God. And it's with that armor that we are victorious and free. Heavenly Father, right now in your presence, Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.